The GovEx show is supported by Forrester, helping government organisations perform at their best. Visit forrester.com to learn more. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the GovEx show. I'm Tim Coulthard, and my guest today is James Brown, who's UK managing partner at the strategy pricing consultant Simon Kutcher and Partners. Today we had a really interesting conversation around growing government revenue and specifically how price plays a part in that. As you'll hear from James, pricing can be a bit of a blind spot in public sector organisations for a variety of reasons. So it's good to unpack some of that and learn more. The good news is we're going to explore this topic in even greater detail at GovX Digital 2020 when James and his colleague Rosalind Hunter will be joining the panel to talk about pricing and government revenues in these challenging times. I'll be along at the end to share more details, but in the meantime, here's James. So James, welcome to the GovX show. Hi, Tim. Uh, before we talk about the work of you and your role, Simon Kutcher and Partners, and unpack some of the issues around government revenues and pricing in 2020, which I'm sure there's a lot to talk about there, just interested to find out more a bit about you, uh, your sort of personal journey and career story, and uh, where do we find you today as partway through lockdown part two in the UK? Yeah, exactly. Part, lockdown part two. So you, you find me unsurprisingly at home. Uh, lucky enough to live up on the, the northeast coast, where I, I've been spending far more time at home than I ever imagined, as, as I think have most of the, the, the audience. So um, uh, what do I do up here in my spare time outside work? Well, I'm a father of a three-year-old and an eight-month-old. So that pretty much tells you what, I, what I'm doing most of the time. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, I uh, you know, live right on the coast, love getting out kayaking or, or jumping on the bike. But when it comes to my professional role, uh, what I don't spend my time doing is reading business books or, or pricing articles. So I am a, a bit of a pricing evangelist, and we'll probably get into that in a few minutes. Okay. Actually, when it comes to how I got into the role, you know, I never set out to become a pricing specialist, but I've been doing it for over 20 years now. Okay. I, I, I guess I started my career effectively as an analyst before moving into commercial management. So I was looking at complex IT and outsourcing contracts, and I began to specialize in pricing these contracts. So working out how much we should charge our customers understanding the, the, the revenue models, how we would make money out of things, what they would cost us. And at some point it all clicked. So it became the classic case of meeting something that you, you enjoy and something that it turned out I was, I was quite good at. And after a couple of moves in that space, I was picked up by Simon Kusher, the world's leading pricing consultancy. And that looked like a great opportunity to shift away from the day-to-day -day and really get into the, the advisory side of things, the project side of things. I suppose the, the, the exciting side of the role yeah so when we're talking about you know engaging with an organization public sector or private sector and you're talking about revenues and price modeling and, and maybe the whole piece what are the what are the challenges and pain points that you're typically working with them to address well if I think about the, the our role here and, and what we do as a company we, we cover all sorts of different sectors and you know, it's everything from automotive, manufacturing, consumer goods, software, financial services, you name it, we, we kind of price it. And, and the pain points 
a lot of people expect that we spend most of our time saying, is it going to be 199 or 299? You know, it, and, and frankly, you know, if you've paid a little bit more than you would have liked to for anything like cars, trips, travel, food, we might have been responsible for, for that by helping those companies get the right, the right price. At the same time, we might also have been responsible for making you choose our client instead of an alternative because we hit the sweet spot. We got it priced just below that threshold that made you think, that's good value. Or we tackled a promotion and made you buy a little bit more. Or alternatively, got you to upgrade because it was a better option for you. So it was a, we, we, we help our clients look for an opportunity rather than address that, that pain point. Now, some of them, of course, some clients come to us saying they, they do have a challenge. They've got a problem. Prices are going down. Revenues are too low. How do we, how do we get those up? And when it comes to the public sector, really interestingly, I guess that's the heart of our hypothesis uh, for today, we're not talking to anything like enough people. Now, it's a very limited group in the public sector who look at pricing, and critically an even narrower group who actually have a clear responsibility or a clear focus for this. So, so a lot of public sector bodies, we're talking to maybe people in the trading arms uh, or something where they're operating a service with a discretionary charge and very often the opportunity to generate additional revenue and surplus and improve or improve public perceptions of price is being overlooked and I think we again that the pain points if I think about what we're trying to do with price if I contrast the, the, the private sector and the public sector the private sector large corporations, a lot of people assume that they're brilliant at pricing, that they, they always, you know, they get, they, we might buy something from them and think, well, that was too expensive, that was a mistake. But if we bought it from them, we've, they've done their job. But a lot of companies really aren't very good at getting the right price. They either price too high and miss out on volume that people would have bought for them, or they price too low and they leave profit, or in the case of the public sector surplus on the, on the table. And in commercial terms, price is the most powerful profit lever. If you want to increase your trading surplus, then everything else remains equal. If you have the choice, I can add 1% to price, I can take 1% off cost, or I can get a 1% volume increase. You're going to get the biggest bang for your buck out of that 1% price increase. And it's massively overlooked. Why is that? Why, why, is it, why is it a blind spot in public or private sector? Uh, in, in some ways, the, in the private sector, one reason it's a blind spot is because it, it's, it's too complicated for most people. Too complicated for most businesses to, to, to get on top of. Too many stakeholders, too many risks involved. If you think about it, if I'm manufacturing something, if I'm making product, if I take 10% out of my cost, I know what's going to happen. If I buy 10% less widgets, if I buy, if I replace my laptop, uh, you know, every four years instead of every three, if I lose headcount, I know that work is going to spread out. So I know what happens if I take costs out. If I move my price, it becomes more of a guessing game, unless you have some of the tools at hand to help you predict what's going to happen, unless you understand how customers are going to react. Now I bring in then into the, uh, you know, that's a bit of a generalization and 
pricing, the price, pricing in the private sector has massively professionalized in, I'd say, the last 10 years. I've been doing this for, for, for 20 plus, but I'd say in the last 10 years, we've seen people dedicated to the discipline of, of pricing. Before it was you know, someone in marketing or someone in finance, they had some say in it, and then eventually the CEO would say, no, I don't like 9.99, I want 8.99. You know, it was a little bit amateur. Yeah. We've had a lot more professionalization in the last 10 years. So many corporations will have a dedicated pricing or revenue management function within, within the team. Now, you come into the public sector, and there's another factor at play, which is fairness, access to service, and belief that it's not there to make a profit. And you know, there's been changes in philosophy, mood on, on this over the years, but I know a lot of the audience will be, will be local government. There are trading surpluses that, that are made from everything from you know leisure centers to local government operated cafes to transport, all sorts of things where trips to the tip, all sorts of things where we, we monetize on the periphery. And if we think about the amount of money at stake, it's not insignificant. But many, many people look at this and go, well, we shouldn't be making a profit here. Fine, but if you make a little bit more surplus, you can put that back into the services. Yeah. And a lot of people don't look very hard at the objectives. So we asked uh, an education provider, a public education provider, a few years ago, we said to them, okay, the end of this project you're doing with us, what would you like? Would it be, would it be a success if volumes had gone up 50% but revenue was flat? Or would it be a success if revenue had gone up 50%, uh, sorry, if revenue had gone up 50% uh, but volume had gone down? And the executive team of that education provider was entirely split. 50% said that revenue was sacrosanct, 50% said that volume was sacrosanct. With that, without that objective being set, you, you can't get into yeah. the details of how you develop a pricing strategy, let alone pricing tactics that have people on the ground out there communicating them. Okay. So people get nervous about this, and they also don't realize how big an opportunity it is. So people, they don't realize it's a big opportunity, they also think profit isn't necessarily for them, and you can use pricing to hit other objectives as well. Uh, you can use it to steer choices, steer behavior, uh, and change perceptions. Yeah. It's interesting because it, it sounds like there are some maybe different tensions or sort of push and pull factors at play within the public sector versus the private sector because the end goal isn't this sort of clear profit-driven commercial success so therefore even different individuals within the same leadership team can see it differently and can be driven by sort of different personal motivations or, or a view of what of what good looks like absolutely and look the, the public sector is not unique in that no. we've asked the same question to private sector companies as well uh, i've sat down with c-level teams from some very big household names and said okay where do you want to go? Do you want to, are you okay to sacrifice profit for the next two years to maintain your, your market share position? And you'll have one person in the leadership team saying, absolutely, market share at all costs. Someone else saying, no way, we're here for the next three months, get us back into a profit. And these split opinions and, and lack of certainty around what people want to do with price is, is at the heart of the problem.
yeah. plus the fact that it's been a neglected functional discipline. Yeah. So as we as we look around us in 2020, clearly huge changes going on in the world, uh, driven you know by COVID and then the sort of trickle down of impact on the high street, um, an ever faster push towards digital, whether that's sort of digital service delivery or you know digital um, purchasing. You know, we can, every aspect is, is kind of heading that way. How is that changing the conversations you're having? For you, does does it alter the 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 approach, or is it just accelerating, pushing in the same direction that of travel that was previously the case? A little bit the latter. It's a, it's a, it's a great point. It, it's a little bit acceleration, but it's acceleration at such a pace that it changes the conversation. Right. So, what you've had is that disruption has led to to innovation uh, incredibly quickly. I mean, it's been an absolutely horrible time for many businesses, but they've seen demand collapse, and for the individuals involved, they've lost jobs, they've lost incomes. At the same time, it, it's accelerated all those existing trends, and it's fast-tracked the, the, the way that companies are working. And it's also fundamentally changing the way that all service delivery is, is, is taking place. So, so we looked at the, the, the crisis that's hit the economy in, in two dimensions. Of, you've got a, a volume aspect, a demand, which is, is that's common with other crises in the past, from a financial perspective. You have this drop in demand. Uh, but you've also got the crisis in, in go-to-market, and by that I mean the way that services are delivered and the way that they're sold. So to take an extreme example, if you're in overseas travel, overseas leisure travel, then you've had a complete collapse in demand, and you've also had a complete collapse in the way you're able to deliver your product, because you, you can't make that digital all of a sudden. Same time, you might have had a collapse in demand, but your delivery model isn't hit because you're able to shift to being online so there you know that you, you, you when the demand comes back in you'll be in a position to, to to succeed you've also had people who have you know barely been touched some of the some natively digital platforms have just continued on as though nothing mm. happened um, but you've had this this real transformation and we've seen this if you look at the UK as a whole, the, the UK has been well ahead of many comparable countries when it came to online shopping habits. And this has pushed it even further. We're, we're a, a nation that is used to transacting online, uh, used to working, working online, used to seeing things and dealing with things digitally. And uh, this has pushed it even further. Uh, and this has been one of the big successes that businesses have gone through. The change, speed of change has been incredible. So if you ask some some organizations, would they be able to transition to a digital delivery model in the next month, two months, three months? They said no, it's going to take mm. two years. And that goes for local government, central government, large-scale private sector, multinational private sector. It speeded things up. Uh, and let's take a really simple example. For, for those of you who visited pubs, the audience here visited pubs during the, the summer, think about online ordering. You know, your, your local pub in the past, you'd never be able to walk in and expect to get drinks ordered on an app or menu and scroll down. You know, you walk in, you log your details, who you're with, sit down, scroll through a few things on your phone, and then the food appears at your table. It might seem straightforward, but 
the technology, the processes, and the commercial models going on behind that to get them all ready and working are incredible. Yeah. And it comes down to agility, the way we interact with our, with our customers and our clients. And I think that many of the audience will have seen and been impressed with a lot of aspects of things that have been done at local and central government exhibiting some incredible agility when it comes to reconfiguring their, their services uh, to deliver remotely, to redeploy teams, to switch gear entirely. Uh, we've not seen it when it comes to pricing and charging for services or as much in the as much in the customer journey uh, in the public sector as we have in the private sector where it's been kind of, they've been forced to do it for, some, yeah. for the survival of their businesses. Okay, so um, let, let's have a look, uh, if we have a look at that, um, the, the session that you're going to be involved with at the event is, is around growing government revenues. Um, what are you really going to be sharing around that topic and what do you hope that the audience will take out of that? Because I think it might seem like a self-evidently worthwhile pursuit to increase revenue notwithstanding that there's sort of some occasional internal tensions around what what the end goal mm. should be but maybe organizations are nervous about how to start or how it might yeah. be seen to be uh perceived externally because we're not in the business of increasing revenue in the business of yeah. providing you know outcomes for citizens etc yeah. etc et so it, let's start it, to it, understand it, what that might look like i, I think that the first thing is, is, is it self-evident? Uh, I think that maybe bringing more revenue in, the need to do that and find alternative revenue sources probably is. Mm. The importance of how all the levers to do that work, I don't think is. And I think I'd, I'd love the, the audience from our session to take away the idea that the pricing lever within that mix is incredibly important and get some smart ideas as well on, on how to focus, uh, how to focus on doing that. And, you know, if I was giving some advice on how to, how to start on that journey, the number one thing is probably to flip the mindset, give pricing the same or more importance even as, as cost cutting. Then, then set your objectives. What are you actually trying to do? Are you trying to generate a surplus or are you trying to get volume or are you trying to find a way to charge some, some citizens? but at the same time use that to subsidize the same service for others. And, and, and think about how you, how you differentiate there as well. So it's about getting your objectives and then that, that role of differentiation. Where can we offer low enough prices to provide the access we want and value-added offerings for where people will be willing to pay more? Um, and also then I'd, I'd say look around because there are some amazingly creative pricing models out there. Yeah, it's interesting because I was going to ask about sort of what maybe not trends is the word or not, but what are you seeing elsewhere around where actually maybe the public sector should be casting eye and realizing that there's an opportunity to, to do something similar? What, what might they be looking to emulate? I think one of the things we, we've seen has to be subscription. Hmm. Subscription is, is, is fascinating. It, it's, it's something that everyone is, is looking at at the moment where we're, we're, you can subscribe for anything, to, to anything at the moment. We're all familiar with things such as Netflix, but you know we've, we've seen people having SOC subscriptions. Yeah. Uh, visitor subscriptions are, are things that you know, would jump to mind for, for some services that, that the government provides. All sorts of things could be turned into a subscription offering, and it's a case of having a look and seeing what other people are doing. If I, 
why, why do people go for subscription? It provides stability in a time when things are being bouncing up and down. If I was a business who could bring everyone to subscribe and start paying me regularly, I'd be in a much, much safer place uh, than if I've got something that's very, very, very volatile. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that doesn't work for, for everyone and, and for everything. One success factor we've seen people offering recently is people are tied into a, a subscription or regular payment, but providing some flexibility is really important. And, and flexibility is, has been critical in retaining loyalty. People will remember what you did for them in a crisis long after that crisis has passed. And I think there it comes to, we often underestimate the role of fairness in treatment of people who are paying for our services. Uh, and that's a really, really important thing that we can't overlook. It, it, in, you know, the many local and central government offerings are provided to businesses, not just to, 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 to you or I. And sometimes when we think about price, we think a lot about consumer services, but we're also talking about providing to, to B2B services. And, yeah. and now is the time for, for, you know, for grown-up conversations to, to explain why actually we, we can be flexible in, in our pricing and offering when we've got low or high demand. Uh, it's time to be clear with people as well. Start using experimentation and using data and analytics. This is at the forefront right now in, in many parts of professional pricing is better and better use of data and analytics and that's one thing that actually if you, if you pull together some of the information that is collected on a local and central level it's hugely powerful resource to understand what people want when they want it and how they want it yeah i mean it's one of the we have a whole stream dedicated to government data in the event partly because government organizations local or central are sitting on pots and pots of data uh yeah. and how they can join those together to create insights that kind of cross-reference from one service provision to another uh, are some of the kind of topics that we're hearing very frequently in our conversations with public sector leaders. So, yeah, it, it completely resonates with, with what we're hearing elsewhere as well, that you have huge insights potentially, which will answer some of the difficult questions that, that you have because you'll know whether service use will drop off if X percentage of increases is you know, implemented or whatever. So yeah, it's interesting to hear you're, yeah. you're pulling in that data piece as well. So what would you, what advice might you give to a, you know, kind of, let's say a local government service owner or uh, manager who, here's the message that, that this is a lever that they can pull potentially, but isn't, isn't necessarily hugely experienced in doing so for, for the kind of cultural reasons we've outlined what, what would your advice be in sort of how to start or what, what to think about first I try and start with a few you know look around see what other people are offering but maybe start with some, some quick wins put yourself in the shoes of the people that are, are buying the product but more importantly or buying the service pay, paying for the service let's put it that way and but also talk to them get some get some customer insight understand because we have to think of many of the, many of these cases, we do need to think of them as, as, as customers. And what what do they think about what you're offering them? Do they think it's good value? Do they think it's okay? Do they think that actually no, it's a ripoff, and they're only coming to you because they've got nowhere else to go for this? And you're in a very different position. If you're a monopoly provider and you really are the only alternative for them, uh, then it's a lot harder to. <laughs> 
It's actually easier to push your price up without losing volume, but it's a lot harder to justify that mm. from any political perspective. Yeah. So you need to be very, very, very careful on that. And I think that I'd also then start to look for quick wins. Look for things that are easy. And one of the, the fastest ways to increase revenue through pricing is to the concept of price thresholds. It's pure price psychology. We all know things such as you're more likely to buy something if it's $1.99 than if it's two pounds and five pence, but dramatically more likely. And we saw some fascinating research recently from the, the, the big data world of, uh, of, of taxis. Now, you have to forgive me because I need to be able to cite the author's name and it slipped my mind at the moment. But a guy did some deep analysis into the Lyft service yeah. and found that if they cut their price from 15.99 to 15 pounds, it had the same impact in terms of increasing volume as going from 15 pounds to 14.99. Uh, maybe even been dollars, but you had that, you know, the, the one dollar yeah. impact versus the one cent impact. One of them moved you below 15, the other one kept you at 15. And because that was such a powerful threshold, people saw the 14.99 as much better value. Uh, so you had this tiny price movement creating as big an impact as this big movement. Where, where's the relevance to that? Well, actually, if you look at your price list, have a look. What's on the threshold? What's just above? I can almost guarantee if you look across the range of services that you're offering, you'll find that over time, many things have just had an inflationary increase. You'll find weird and wonderful price points. £123.50 because it's been moved up by a few percentage points. Yeah. Uh, you know, £7.29. Well, if you were at £7.50, people would have the same value perception. Yeah. There's one of the, the, you know, it, it's quick and easy to do, to have a look at those thresholds and move things around. It's almost a, a, a trick, but it works. And you can also do it without squeezing people out who need to be able to buy that service, because it doesn't actually cost them much more if you put things up just to, you know, just to the threshold level. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, you see the same thing in, um, public sector wage brackets, which are almost exclusively not even numbers to even numbers. They, as you say, by, by a process of application of formulae and so on, they go up by X percentage point, irrespective of the, of the sort of convoluted number that comes out the other end. So that's a really good practical tip for somebody you know, in a sort of price facing role in the public sector to look at the psychology of, of where they where they are today and, and where they could be and what the impact might be just by applying some basic principles so that's a really great and you know practical way to start so that's the kind of thing I think that will start to unlock this for some people that, that it's not a it's not a sort of mystifying art it's actually based around sound principles common sense uh, basic understanding of, of your customer so that's, that's yeah. great stuff um, before we before we wrap it up and I, I let you go um, wanted to sort of pick your brains a little on some interesting resources or assets that you might recommend. We have, we're building a sort of virtual library, I suppose, where we're going to collate all of the um, recommendations from both our speakers and our guests and also our delegates because sharing ideas is, uh, is always a, a good way to, to enhance knowledge. So is there anything that you would, you would flag as being a, something you, you go to again or you've seen recently that's inspired you that you'd recommend to our audience? Um, absolutely. Yeah, but 
in fact, it's a little bit biased on this one, but I'd have to go for Monetizing Innovation. Uh, it's a book, bright yellow cover, uh, by Madhavan Ramanujan and, and Georg Taka. Uh, full disclosure, they're both partners at, at, at Simon Kusha, but it, it's a fascinating book. Uh, it's, the basic hypothesis is that most organizations launching new products or services actually fail commercially because they don't think through how they're going to make money with them. Uh, it's, it's an easy read, it, but some powerful examples from all sorts of different sectors uh, condensed into these nine really practical steps on how people can go about thinking about how you're going to, to, to monetize products and services. And I challenge anyone to read it and not find at least sort of two or three ideas and they go out and apply immediately. Okay, great stuff. Well, we'll, um, we'll pop that on the virtual bookshelf as we build it and, and put some links in, in the show notes and so on. So happy to add that one to the list. I think um, on, on a similar note, when we come to uh, the session you're taking part in about growing government revenues, I think that today's really helped to start to, to lift the lid on the opportunity that's there for public sector leaders, whether they're in a sort of finance role or commercial facing role. Uh, maybe this has been a blind spot uh, up to now and that... Yeah there's a great opportunity here. So we're looking forward to expanding on this a little bit more. I know your colleague Ross is joining us as well for the, for the session. Uh, really looking forward to, to bringing this to life and, and starting to unlock the opportunity that's clearly there in terms of revenue and pricing and sort of public sector service delivery. So looking forward to that one. Um, I think we're, we should wrap it up now because I know you've got lots on. So We'll, we'll look forward to welcoming you uh, next week. And in the meantime, I'll just, I'll just say thank you very much for joining us, James. Great. Thanks, Tim. Look forward to seeing you next week as well. See you then. So thanks to James Brown from Simon Kusher and Partners for joining me today. As I mentioned, we'll be exploring government revenue in even more de detail at a session at 11.40 a.m. on the 19th of November as part of GovEx Digital 2020. James will be joined by his colleague Rosalind Hunter from Simon Kusher and Partners. And we'll also have David Wilde, who's an experienced local government executive director and CIO, to share his perspectives. 2020 has hit local government revenue hard, like many organizations, so it would be great to unpack some of the responses that are available to public sector leaders. We'll be along soon with another episode, uh, but in the meantime, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.